morning, everybody, and happy 4th of July weekend. Um, if you're here this morning, then it means you share my opinion that Chicago is the best place to be in the summer. You did not travel. You're here, right? <laughs> At least you're not that, don't sound that excited about it, but I'm excited to be here in Chicago. Um, but given that it's a holiday weekend, I thought we'd start off with a little bit of fun. So we're going to play a game. And um, I am going to choose two victims, I mean contestants for this game. And I think that would be really fun to actually call Mel and Jamie. I feel like you guys would be fun. So if you guys wouldn't mind just, you're kind of too far away, so I need you to come up here. And I'm going to ask them some questions, so it'll actually be really interesting to see if they have the same answers or not. And they might have to deal with some issues after this in their marriage, but we'll hope not. So you can just kind of come stand. Actually, why don't you just come stand here with me, actually. All right, so this game is really, really easy. It's called Dead or Alive. Okay. And all you have to do is, I'm going to read a list of names, so don't look at my names here. And if that person is dead, you just stand still, okay? I'm like a dead a person. major. It's all right, it's all right. Okay. Um, and if this person is alive, you just, you put your hands up and you say, alive. Got it. Can you do that? Okay. Any questions? No. Okay, great. Here we go. All right, George Washington. Very good. Thomas Jefferson. Joan of Arc. Christopher Columbus. Steve Sudworth. Okay, good. Um, Beyonce. Oh, yeah. Albert Einstein. Elvis Presley. Are you sure? I know. Just checking. Just checking. Thomas Edison. Helen Keller. Walt Disney. Goliath. William Shakespeare. Abraham Lincoln. Jesus. Okay, awesome. Thank you guys. Oh, and I have some prizes since it's 4th of July. These are like little poppers. I do not, I am not responsible for any injuries that may incur from that. But anyway, thank you guys. Let's give them a hand. Thank you. So Mel and Jamie were able to say alive to that last question, Jesus is alive, because um, as we know, they have the faith, even though they can't see Jesus here with me right now, um, they have the faith to believe that he is indeed alive. As Hebrews 11 says, 11, 1 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Um, but we know that not everyone has that view of Jesus. They would not have answered alive when we played that game. Um, some see him as just a man. Others see him as just a prophet. But we know that when you choose to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're choosing to see beyond what you can see with your physical sight and trust in what your eyes cannot see. So our current series is called Transformed by Jesus, Ordinary Encounters with an Extraordinary Savior. And each of the people that we've spoken about through this series has had the faith to be able to believe that Jesus is more than meets the eye. And we learned about Zacchaeus, who was, went to the lengths to climb to the top of the tree to see Jesus. Now, if Jesus was an ordinary man like James or Dave, for example, no offense, he probably wouldn't have climbed to the top of the tree to see him, right? But he had the faith that there was something more about Jesus than meets the eye. Um, Sheetal told us about the woman with the issue of bleeding, who was unclean, rejected by society. And she had the faith to break cultural and social norms, to reach across and touch Jesus' robe, because she thought that there was something about him that she couldn't see that could help her situation. And when she reached across and touched his robe, she was radically, and, or she was completely healed. And then last week, James told us about Legion, who was a man who was struggling with demonic oppression for years and years and years. He was tormented. He had to be chained. 
Um, we probably would have said he was insane. And in one encounter with Jesus, what he had struggled with in his entire life completely changed his life. He was restored in his right mind. And the interesting thing, as James was talking about, is that the townspeople who had been trying to deal with this problem for years and years and years unsuccessfully were terrified when they saw this man restored and in his right mind. Why? I mean, their problem was solved. But it's because what they could see with their own eyes didn't make sense to them. It was out of their control. And um, it just, we, they didn't get it. So instead of running to Jesus in faith, they ran away from him out of fear. So today, we're going to look at the story of the Samaritan woman, or the woman at the well, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And we're going to see how her encounter with Jesus caused her revelation of him to start off as just a man, and then it moved to just a prophet, and then we see it change to savior of the world, and not only her revelation, but that of a lot of people in her community. So as I was preparing for this message, I was really challenged to consider my own revelation of Jesus. I have walked with Jesus for many, many years. I call him my Lord and Savior. But I realized that I can easily live my daily life as though Jesus was just a man or just a prophet. And I can get so caught up in the daily grind that overall my life can feel rather ordinary. And I was challenged to ask this question, what does life really look like when we live with this extraordinary Savior that we have been talking about? Because the way that we live our life, our daily life, is directly related to our revelation of who Jesus is, right? And when we're able to see him as Savior of the world, it transforms our lives and the lives of those around us. And so it made me kind of just think about this word Savior, because it's a word that we use all the time in church. We sing about it. And before we dig into our story for the day, I just want to look into it, because I think it can become kind of familiar, diminished in its power. So let's just review really quickly. What does it mean to have a Savior? If we have a Savior, we profess Jesus is our Lord and Savior, it means we admit that we needed to be saved, period, that we needed to be saved, right? Uh, We believe as Christians that we all need to be saved, that even though what you see here physically is life, there's more to that, that there's our souls, which we cannot see, which requires faith to believe is there. Um, We believe that apart from a relationship with God, which was his original intent, Apart from that life source, that living water we're talking about, we're going to talk about today, our souls don't have life. And um, we believe that we need to be connected with the creator of the universe with that living water in order to have life. But apart from that, we believe that we are not fully alive, so therefore we needed to be saved. And what is it that we need to be saved from? Well, that's an eternity apart from God, which God is love, so that will be an eternity Apart from love, no peace, no joy, our minds can't even comprehend the horrible reality of what that is. And it's not something that we like to consider, and it requires faith to even consider, because it's not something that we can see the bigness of on this side of eternity. What is it that we're saved into? We're saved into an eternity with God, and that's not something that starts once we die physically from this earth, but it's something that starts here and now, at the moment of salvation, when you believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior, because that relationship is restored, they were plugged back into the life source, and he gives life to our souls. And we only catch glimpses of that now, while we're here on this earth, it's being worked out, but we believe that we'll see the fullness of that when we step into the other side of eternity. And that requires faith. 
to just grasp the bigness of what, that's, of what that is. And I don't know about you, but there are so many distractions in daily life that can cause my gaze to slip and settle for what I can see with my own eyes. I feel so built up here on a Sunday in worship, and it's amazing, but then the week goes on, and life happens, and it's so easy to just let that view of Jesus to slip down to just a man or just a prophet because of the way that I'm, I'm living my life. And I know that if I'm not actively allowing God daily to give me revelation of himself through prayer, worship, and time in the word, I can easily allow the magnitude of what Jesus accomplished through his death and resurrection to be diluted and diminished. And so I was challenged to consider while I was preparing for this, what does life really look like when it's lived with the full revelation of Jesus as Savior of the world? How do we keep that revelation, and how can it transform our daily lives into something extraordinary? So today's story of Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman is a beautiful picture of how Jesus gently takes this woman's gaze and lifts it up to see who he truly is as Savior of the world and how in that revelation he transforms her life and the life of those in her community. So um, I'd like for you to turn with me to John 4, and while you do that, pull up the map behind me if you don't mind. I was a teacher in CPS for seven years, so I need to use some visuals just makes me feel good. Uh, so you'll see here a map, and this is, um, will show us where Jesus is at. So he's on a journey from Judea to Galilee with his disciples. And at this particular point in the scripture that we're going to read, he's in the region of Samaria, which is in between Judea and Galilee, in a town called Sakar. It's a little bit blurry, but it's just to the right of the word Samaria. And just for fun, the best that I could, I calculated kind of how far that would be. So if you were to walk from Holy Trinity High School all the way out to the western suburb of St. Charles, that would be about what Jesus and his disciples were walking from the region of Judea up to this particular point. So it was obviously not a physically easy journey. They were hot. They were tired. There were no Starbucks along the way for any rest stops. And it also wasn't as flat as going from here to St. Charles would be. It was hilly and rocky, as you can see on the right there. Um, so it was, it was physically challenging. In addition to that, it was dangerous for social reasons because in order to take the direct route up to Galilee, you'd have to pass through Samaria. And if you go through Samaria, you're going to encounter Samarians, right? So Samarians and Jewish people for hundreds of years despised each other, and they would avoid each other at all costs. So typically, people, Jewish people would actually cross um, over through Jericho up through the Jordan River, and then cross back over to Galilee to completely avoid the region of Samaria. So when Jesus took this path, he was being very intentional, and he was also choosing not to live by fear, because he could have gotten attacked and his disciples, but he was very intentional in choosing this path. So let's read now um, from John 4, verse 1, and we'll see what this is all about. So the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town called, in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, 
If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, then you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. We're going to pause there for one moment. Um, I love this story because I really feel like it shows how God is fully man and fully God at the same time. Um, We see here that Jesus is tired. You know, he experienced human things. Um, So you can imagine that at this point in the passage, the Samaritan woman's revelation of Jesus is fully as just a man. She would have been going out to the well, doing her normal routine, coming out, uh, and then seeing this man sitting at the well. And she would have seen that he was hot, tired, maybe a little smelly, even. I don't know. Um, So she's approaching the well. And not only that, but she sees that it's a Jewish man. So let's put ourselves in her picture, in, in her shoes for a minute. She could have easily probably, in fact, maybe the smart thing to do would have been to actually turn around as she was approaching the well. But we already see God's grace at work here because not only did, by God's grace, Jesus choose this path, crossing through Samaria to be at this point in time. Not only did he choose to engage this woman when he's hot, he's tired. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I had done that journey, I wouldn't feel like talking to anyone at all. (laughs) I would have been avoiding people. Um, But then also we see God's grace in the simple fact that the Samaritan woman was able to push through this kind of uncertainty of who this guy was and continue along and approach the well and go about her daily routine rather than turn away like, I'm not messing with that, because it could have been dangerous for her. We don't know. So at this point, what is it that's preventing her from seeing Jesus as Savior? Well, she's seeing him, like we just said, as a Jewish man. So in this interaction, we see she can't get past that. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans do not interact. We also see that he's a man and she's a woman. And especially Jewish men and Samaritan women would not react. So... Why is he engaging her in this conversation? And she's kind of stuck on that at this point. Additionally, as you saw from this, Jesus is speaking about this living water in the middle of a dry place. He doesn't have anything to draw water with. He's speaking about water that wells up to eternal life, which as believers, we understand what that is. But to someone who has no framework for that, it would sound a little bit crazy, right? And... um, I mean, not only that, he's saying it'll be, you'll never thirst for it again. He's like a salesman with no evidence of this product that he's trying to sell. It's like a bad product. Um, so she's kind of almost like joking in this interaction. It reminds me of, how many of you have seen Wonder Woman? Yeah? Um, I don't know where Leanne is, but I told her I was going to bring up Wonder Woman. As a connect group on Tuesday, the ladies, we went to go see Wonder Woman. It was a lot of fun. Um, and I'm not a superhero movie person at all. But I have to say, I really enjoy this movie. It might even be like in one of my top five. It's really good. But one of the things that was really funny about it is this interaction between Wonder Woman, and I'm not comparing Jesus to Wonder Woman, so don't hear that, please. Uh, Wonder Woman and Stephen, Stephen Trevor. So he's a soldier in the war. And she's speaking when they first meet about this epic battle between good and evil and how she has to defeat the god of war and you know all this stuff. And he's just like, 
uh, I just have to defeat this battle so we can end World War I. And they're speaking at completely different levels. By the end of the movie, they kind of start to see eye to eye and be able to understand each other. So that's kind of what this interaction reminds me of a little bit. So let's continue on and read about what causes the revelation to go from Jesus is just a man to possibly considering that he's more. You can read with me from verse 17. So Jesus just told her, well, go call your husband and come back. Basically like, hey, I'll show you this living water. Uh, And she says, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So let's pause there for one more moment. It's kind of an awkward interaction, don't you think? A little awkward? Uh, Because Jesus reveals something incredibly personal about her, her entire relationship history, the stranger. I mean, how many of you would like it if you met a stranger and they revealed your entire relationship history to you? Some of you look very nervous right now. (laughs) Um, So that's what he's doing. And it kind of it makes her feel uncomfortable. It makes her feel uncomfortable enough to kind of change the subject. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. So what is happening here? Um, Jesus shares a word of knowledge, which is basically him revealing something about her life that he wouldn't have known any other way except if God had given him that revelation. So what does that do? It does a few things. Firstly, it causes her to lift her eyes to the possibility of something that's unseen about Jesus. Because how else... Could he know this? So it's lifting her faith. And that's exactly the purpose of prophetic. Kind of side note, whenever you pray for someone or you have a word of knowledge, the whole purpose is not just to stop on that and focus on that. It's to help people. It's a tool that God gives us to help lift people's eyes towards Jesus because it lifts our faith to see him. Um, so that's the purpose of, of what he's doing there. But also, I used to read the scripture and get a little uncomfortable because he's revealing something very personal that could come across as sounding kind of like, well, you have five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. And, but it's not, that's not how he's saying it, because as we learn in worship, the scripture that came through, there's therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And we also know the word says that Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. He didn't come full of legalism and lies. So he's carrying this joy, this love, this forgiveness in his heart as he's interacting with her. And it's more like he's bringing this thing up because she's trying to find ways to step, keep a separation between them. And he brings this up as a way of showing her that she's seen. And yet, he's still choosing to engage her in this conversation. He's not holding it in front of her and then making her feel condemned and then running away and leaving her in that place. He's showing her that she's seen and she doesn't know it yet, but ultimately it'll show that this is not something that can stand in the way. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done or how broken you think your past is, nothing can separate you from this love, which in this case is sitting right in front of her. And so what does she do? What's her reaction? This kind of awkward moment where she's like, well, I can see that you're a prophet. So here we see that her revelation has increased a little bit. She has the faith to recognize that he is a prophet. He's a man of God who, kind of like the men in the Old Testament, the other men in the Old Testament, could hear from God. They're a mouthpiece for God and what he wanted to say to his people. And then she says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So here, I kind of like to think of it as these sandbags that she's chucking in front of this river 
these streams of living water that are starting to come at her, right? So she chucks the sandbag to try to keep, to block the flow of what's happening. And she tries to do it through religion, which, um, sorry, I just got to get my notes here. Uh Uh-oh. So she's doing it through this argument of religion. And she's saying, basically, that, well, you worshiped on this mountain, and I worship on this mountain, so we can't, I'm not going to, like, let you in right now, because we're, we're too different, right? And um, I love Jesus' response to this. And also, not only that, but she's reducing God to someone who can be worshipped only on a mountain. So she's kind of has a small picture of who God is right now, in addition to that. So let's read from John 4, verse, where are we now? Verse 19, verse 20, 21. So Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. We're going to skip down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So what happened there? All of a sudden, it's not a long interaction that she's had with him, but all of a sudden, she's gone from seeing him as just a man to a prophet. And now, here we see her referring, her people in her town referring to him as Savior of the world, and she's referring to him as the Messiah. And what is, let's look back at what Jesus' response is to her attempt to put up religion between them. He is basically saying, He's lifting her faith even more. He's saying, God is not interested in your religious acts. He desires a wholehearted worship that can only come through revelation of who he is and relationship with him. You can raise your hands all you want. You can worship in this place. You can worship in that place. But that means nothing to him unless it is wholehearted worship, which can only come when you see Jesus for Savior of the world and he fills you with this revelation and it overflows out of you. Your spirit calling out to his spirit out of adoration, authentic adoration. So he debunks that kind of argument that she tries to put up. And then additionally, he's saying God is spirit, which he can't be confined to a mountain, which means you can worship him anywhere. Wherever you are, in your workplace, in your schools, as long as you're worshiping wholeheartedly, everything is an act of worship unto him, right? So he's just blowing open her idea of who God is. And so... In that place, her faith is starting to really increase, and she has one more sandbag that she tries to put in this block to block the flow of this beautiful river of love that's flowing through her, to her. 
And she basically says, well, the Messiah will explain everything else to us one day, which is basically like saying, oh, I don't really want to talk about it right now. Um, I just want to end this conversation. I'll just go home and Google it later, and we'll figure it out then. So what is Jesus' response to this argument? I, who speak to you, am he. And that gives me chills when I read that part, because here she is trying to pawn it off on, well, some, the Messiah will explain it to us one day. And Jesus, is, Jesus, full of grace and truth, sitting there with her. I who speak to you. He's speaking to her. I mean, what a display of his grace. This Messiah who took this path is engaging her. Samaritan, a woman, broken. He's taking the time to engage her and reveal to her this incredible gift and hope of true life, of living water. And this gift of faith to be able to see him for who he is. And the next part is what I just love so much, because what does she do? She leaves her water jar behind, she goes to tell her village, and then returns until they no longer believe, just because of the word of her testimony, but because of the testimonies that, of how Jesus revealed himself to them. And then she was able to believe that Jesus is the savior of the world, and many people in her town. And as my seven-year-old daughter would say, mind blown, right? This is, this is so amazing, because... How did she get to this place in such a brief interaction? I mean, this is, talk about ordinary encounters. She's going about her daily routine to get some water for the well. And all of a sudden this happens and she's completely different in her town in one day. And what did she have? All she had was a revelation of who Jesus was as Savior. That's all. That's all she took with her to her town. And then in, that increased their faith. And then they came to Jesus. And then Jesus revealed himself to them. And then they believed. And I think that is so encouraging because we don't have to feel like we have to have it all together or we have a bunch of different ministries to our name or degrees to our name in order to be effectively used by God. All we have to do to be used by God to transform other people's lives is to have this revelation of who he is because then that revelation transforms us and then we see his love and we can't help but share it out in the world. So it's really not about us. It's more about our revelation of who Jesus is. Which brings me to this question, how do we keep this revelation? And I wanted to say, if you don't have that revelation at all, you've never had it, all you have to do is go to God and ask him and he will reveal himself to you. And so how do we keep this revelation of Jesus as Savior? Well, the main thing is just to fill our vessels with this living water daily. I love in the story how the Samaritan woman, she came there to fill up a vessel, probably something, maybe not as big as that jar right there, that jug, to fill it up. She did it every day. It was a normal thing, but that's how she drank, and she'd fill it up with this water, and then it was the water she'd drink of it, and she'd get thirsty again. But just the very fact that she leaves her water jar there, it shows me that she was filled up by something greater, that she was able to leave behind this physical thing and she was filled up by true living water. And how did that happen? It was because she was with Jesus. That's how she got that revelation, because she was literally sitting with Jesus. And that is how we can keep this revelation, by sitting with Jesus, allowing him daily to fill us up with this living water through prayer, through spending time in the word, through worship, and by connecting with him. And this water, if we don't, then our souls, which need life, will lose, start to lose that revelation. We constantly need to be filled 
with a revelation of who Jesus is. If we want to live with this true picture of who, who he is and the greatness of what he accomplished for us on the cross. And so what can we expect when we drink of this living water? Well, you can expect a few things in your time. You'll expect your view of Jesus to be lifted. If you've let it slip at all, it will be lifted to Savior of the world and it will cause you to overflow into wholehearted worship like we saw this morning. You can also expect it to change your view of yourself, which is loved, dearly loved, that God passionately desires to reveal himself to you, to be in relationship with you, that it was worth him dying on the cross to, as we sang this morning, remove your transgression as far as the east is from the west, and he'll remind you that he's your, you are his sons and daughters, and that can only be done when we spend time with him and allow him to remind us of who we are because of what he's done for us. And you can also expect that when you spend time in, drinking in this living water that he will begin to lift your view of others. That not only will you see yourself in this love, that you will begin to start to see others with this same love, with the eyes with which Jesus sees them. And not for their created value. I mean, if Jesus had took this woman for face value, he would have written her off. She had nothing to offer. But he didn't because he saw in her what he originally created her for, which was whole and full of joy, full of peace. None of this other stuff that we do encounter in this world, on this side of eternity. And then you can also expect that when you drink of this living water, he will take your ordinary tasks, ordinary daily tasks, and turn them into extraordinary encounters with Jesus. At work, wherever you are in your ordinary daily lives, we don't need to settle for ordinary. And we serve an extraordinary Savior. And I wanted to share one kind of story just to hope, hopefully lift your faith a little bit. Um, so how many of you go grocery shopping? Hopefully all of you go grocery shopping. That includes Instacart, that includes Google, whatever it's called. <laughs> okay, good. Now Ashley's like, yeah, okay, I do that. Uh, so it's a very functional thing, right? We have our lists, got my meal plan, feel really organized when I do that. Uh, it's incredibly functional. I go in, I have about 30 minutes to do it. I have my three-year-old, which makes it a little bit challenging, but... Um, you know, we go in, we go out, I can't be bothered, there's really no room for error, I'm just kind of like blinders on, get this thing done, so that I can feed my body, right? Uh, so Mark and I are kind of were challenging each other recently to consider ordinary tasks like going to the grocery store, and instead of just going to get things functionally done, we felt like God was just like, consider the people that are around you when you go into these ordinary situations. And so recently, Mark went into a grocery store um, down on the south side when he was at work. And he went in, and as he was checking out, he decided he was just going to pray for this woman, like, in his heart. Just be like, not out loud at that moment. He's like, I just, Lord, like, do you have anything you want me to encourage this woman with? Because the reality is, is God desires that people know that they are seen by him, that they are loved by him. And if we're open to allowing him to transform us and give, him, give us his heart, and take that, it feels vulnerable. Sometimes it makes me want to run away. But if we allow him to, he will. Just try. Uh, so Mark goes in, and he, and he felt like God say, tell this woman that her son is going to be okay. And being the wise man that he is, first he wanted to ask her if she had a son, because that could avoid some potentially awkward moments. So he said, um, hey, do you have a son by any chance? And immediately 
her eyes started to well up with tears. And, um, or no, sorry, that wasn't that part. So then he said, <laughs> sorry, love, I'm butchering your story. So then he said, well, do I just, I, am a, I believe in Jesus and I just was praying for you and I feel like God wanted me to tell you that your son's going to be okay. And then her eyes started welling up with tears. And you can imagine all of a sudden this woman just feels seen by the father. And she said, oh, that is so encouraging because my son has been having a horrible year at school. He's been getting into the wrong things and I just, I've been so worried about him. And so Mark had this interaction and it's a grocery store he goes to often. So he was able to go back there one day and he saw the woman again and she said, he said, hey, how's your son doing? And her face just lit up with a smile and she's like, you're never going to believe this, but he's doing so much better. Thank you so much for your prayers. And Mark was like, do you think that was God that did that? And she was like, oh, I know it is. <laughs> so what exactly happened there? All it was was Mark taking his faith, his revelation of Jesus as Savior, allowing the Father to give him his heart for, these, for this person, to make them see, be seen, and to begin to bring restoration, wholeness, joy, and peace back into that family. And that's his heart for all of us. And we need to be reminded of that all the time because there's many things that will try to snatch that from us. But when we have that, God can do amazing things in our ordinary encounters and really change them into extraordinary encounters. So I just want to encourage you with that today. Um, just let's be a church who drinks of Jesus' living waters daily, not just when we come here on a Sunday. And that we just remember that all we need is to have a revelation of him and we can just run with that revelation and God will do amazing things. Our job is just to help lift people's faith to see who he is. And I'm trusting that we will have amazing testimonies of how God takes our ordinary daily lives and turns them into something extraordinary. So enjoy your fourth. Thank you guys. <laughs>